Chapter Twenty Nine of The Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty Nine. The Victory Over Death. Glory to God! To God he saith, Knowledge by suffering entereth, and life is perfected in death. E. B. Browning. One morning, in the gladness of his heart, Dr. Day mounted his horse and rode down to Staunton, gaily refusing to impart the object of his ride to any one, and bidding Travers stay with the woman until he should return. As soon as the doctor was gone, Travers went into the library to arrange his patron's books and papers. Mrs. Rock and Clara hurried away to attend to some little mystery of their own invention, for the surprise and delight of the doctor and Travers. For the more secret accomplishment of their purpose, they had dismissed all attendance, and were at work alone in Mrs. Rock's room. And here Clara's sweet, frank, and humble disposition was again manifest, for when Mara would arise from her seat to get anything, Clara would forestall her purpose and say, "'Tell me, tell me, tell me to get what you want, just as if I were your child, and you will make me feel so well. Do now.' "'You are very good, dear Miss Clara, but—' "'I would rather not presume to ask you to wait on me,' said Mara gravely. "'Presume? What a word from you to me! "'Please don't ever use it again, nor call me Miss Clara. "'Call me Clara, or child.' "'Do, Mamma," said the doctor's daughter. "'Then suddenly pausing, she blushed and was silent. "'Mara gently took her hand and drew her into a warm embrace. "'It was while the friends were conversing so kindly in Mara's room,' and while Traverse was still engaged in arranging the doctor's books and papers, that one of the men-servants rapped at the library door, and without waiting permission to come in, entered the room with every mark of terror in his look and manner. "'What's the matter?' inquired Traverse, anxiously rising. "'Oh, Mr. Traverse, sir, the doctor's horse has just rushed home to the stables, all in foam, without his rider.' "'Good heaven!' exclaimed Traverse, starting up and seizing his hat. "'Follow me immediately!' "'Hurry to the stables and saddle my horse, and bring him up instantly. "'We must follow on the road the doctor took to see what has happened. "'Stay. On your life breathe not a word of what has occurred. "'I would not have Miss Day alarmed for the world,' he concluded, "'hastening downstairs, attended by the servant. "'In five minutes from the time he left the library, "'Traverse was in the saddle, galloping towards Staunton, "'and looking attentively along the road as he went. "'Alas! He had not gone far.' when, in descending the wooded hill, he saw lying doubled up helplessly on the right side of the path the body of the good doctor. With an exclamation between a groan and a cry of anguish, Travers threw himself from his saddle and kneeled beside the fallen figure, gazing in an agony of anxiety upon the closed eyes, pale features, and contracted form, and crying, "'Oh, heaven have mercy! Dr. Day! Oh, Dr. Day! Can you speak to me?' The white and quivering eyelids opened, and the faltering tongue spoke, "'Traverse, get me home, that I may see Clara before I die. "'Oh, must this be so? Must this be so? "'Oh, that I could die for you, my friend, my dear, dear friend,' cried Traverse, "'wringing his hands in such anguish as he had never known before. "'Then feeling the need of self-control and the absolute necessity of removing the sufferer, "'Traverse repressed the swelling flood of sorrow in his bosom, "'and cast about for the means of conveying the doctor to his house.' He dreaded to leave him for an instant, and yet it was necessary to do so, as the servant whom he had ordered to follow him had not yet come up. While he was bathing the doctor's face with water from a little stream beside the path, John, the groom, came riding along, and seeing his fallen master, with an exclamation of horror, sprang from his saddle and ran to the spot. 
"'John,' said Travers, in a heartbroken voice, "'mount again and ride for your life to the house. "'Have a cart. "'Yes, that will be the easiest conveyance. "'Have a cart got ready instantly, "'with a feather-bed placed in it, "'and the gentlest horse harnessed to it, "'and drive it here to the roadside at the head of this path. "'Hasten for your life. "'Say not a word of what has happened, "'lest it should terrify the ladies. "'Quick, quick, on your life!' Again, as the man was hurrying away, the doctor spoke, faintly murmuring, "'For heaven's sakes, do not let poor Clara be shocked.' "'No, no, she shall not be. I warned him, dear friend. How do you feel? Can you tell where you are hurt?' The doctor feebly moved one hand to his chest and whispered, "'There, and in my back.' Travers, controlling his own great mental agony, did all that he could to soothe and alleviate the sufferings of the doctor, until the arrival of the cart, that stopped on the road at the head of the little bridle-path, where the accident happened. Then John jumped down from the driver's seat and came to the spot, where he tenderly assisted the young man in raising the doctor, and conveying him to the cart, and laying him upon the bed. Notwithstanding all their tender care in lifting and carrying him, it was but too evident that he suffered greatly in being moved. Slowly as they proceeded, at every jolt of the cart, his corrugated brows and blanched and quivering lips told how much agony he silently endured. Thus at last they reached home. He was carefully raised by the bed, and borne into the house and upstairs to his own chamber, where, being undressed, he was laid upon his own easy couch. Travers sent off for other medical aid, administered a restorative, and proceeded to examine his injuries. "'It is useless, dear boy, useless all. You have medical knowledge enough to be as sure of that as I am. Cover me up, and let me compose myself before seeing Clara.' "'And while I do so, go you and break this news gently to the poor child,' said the doctor, who, being under the influence of the restorative, spoke more steadily than at any time since the fall. Travers, almost heartbroken, obeyed his benefactor, and went to seek his betrothed, praying the Lord to teach him how to tell her this dreadful calamity, and to support her under its crushing weight. As he went slowly, wringing his hands, he suddenly met Clara with her dress in disorder, and her hair flying— just as she had run from her room while dressing for dinner. Hurrying toward him, she exclaimed, "'Travers, what has happened? For the good Lord's sake, tell me quickly. The house is all in confusion. Every one is pale with affright. No one will answer me. Your mother just now ran past me out of the storeroom, with her face as white as death. Oh, what does it all mean?' "'Clara, love, come and sit down. You are almost fainting.' "'Oh, heaven, support her,' murmured Travis, as he led the poor girl to the hall sofa." "'Tell me, tell me,' she said. "'Clara, your father—' "'My father! No, no, no! Do not say any harm has happened to my father. Do not, Travers, do not. Oh, Clara, try to be firm, dear one.' "'My father! Oh, my father, he is dead!' shrieked Clara, starting up wildly to run, she knew not whither. Travers sprang up and caught her arm, and drawing her gently back to her seat, said, "'No, dear Clara, no, not so bad as that. He is living.' "'Oh, thank heaven for so much!' "'What is it, then, Travers? He is ill? Oh, let me go to him. "'Stay, dear Clara, compose yourself first. "'You would not go and disturb him with this frightened and distressed face of yours. "'Let me get you a glass of water,' said Travers, "'starting up and bringing the needed sedative from an adjoining room. "'There, Clara, drink that, and offer a silent prayer to heaven to give you self-control.' "'I will. Oh, I must for his sake. But tell me, Travers, is it—is it as I fear? "'As he expected? Apoplexy?' "'No, dear love, no. He rode out this morning, and his horse got frightened by the van of a circus company that was going into the town, and—' 
and ran away with him and threw him. Oh, heaven, oh, my dear father, exclaimed Clara, once more clasping her hands wildly and starting up. Again Travers promptly but gently detained her, saying, You promised me to be calm, dear Clara, and you must be so before I can suffer you to see your father. Clara sank into her seat and covered her face with her hands, murmuring in a broken voice, How can I be, oh, how can I be, when my heart is wild with grief and fright? Travers, was he, was he, oh, I dread to ask you, oh, was he much hurt? Clara, love, his injuries are internal. Neither he nor I yet know their full extent. I have sent off for two old and experienced practitioners from Staunton. I expect them every moment. In the meantime, I have done all that is possible for his relief. Travers, said Clara, very calmly, controlling herself by an almost superhuman effort. Travers, I will be composed. You shall see that I will. Take me to my dear father's bedside. It is there that I ought to be. That is my dear, brave, dutiful girl. Come, Clara, replied the young man, taking her hand and leading her up to the bedchamber of the doctor. They met Mrs. Rock at the door, who tearfully signed them to go in as she left it. When they entered and approached the bedside, Travers saw that the suffering but heroic father must have made some superlative effort before he could have reduced his haggard face and writhing form to its present state of placid repose, to meet his daughter's eyes and spare her feelings. She, on her part, was no less firm. Kneeling beside his couch, she took his hand and met his eye composedly as she asked, "'Dear father, how do you feel now?' "'Not just so easy, love, as if I had laid me down here for an afternoon's nap, yet in no more pain than I can very well bear. "'Dear father, what can I do for you?' "'You may bathe my forehead and lips with cologne, my dear,' said the doctor, not so much for the sake of the reviving perfume." as because he knew it would comfort Clara to feel that she was doing something, however slight for him. Travers stood upon the opposite side of the bed, fanning him. In a few minutes Mrs. Rock re-entered the room, announcing that the two old physicians from Staunton, Dr. Dawson, and Dr. Williams, had arrived. "'Show them up, Mrs. Rock. Clara, love, retire while the physicians remain with me,' said Dr. Day. Mrs. Rock left the room to do his bidding." and Clara followed, and sought the privacy of her own apartment, to give way to the overwhelming grief which she could no longer resist. As soon as she was gone, the doctor also yielded to the force of the suffering that he had been able to endure silently in her presence, and writhed and groaned with agony that wrung the heart of Travers to behold. Presently the two physicians entered the room and approached the bed, with expressions of sincere grief at beholding their old friend in such a condition, and a hope that they might speedily be able to relieve him. To all of which the doctor, repressing all exhibitions of pain, and holding out his hand in a cheerful manner, replied, "'I am happy to see you in a friendly way, old friends. I am willing also that you should try what you, what you can do for me. But I warn you that it will be useless.' A few hours or days of inflammation, fever and agony, then the ease of mortification, then dissolution. "'Tut-tut,' said Dr. Williams cheerfully. "'We never permit a patient to pronounce a prognosis upon his own case. "'Friend, my horse ran away, stumbled and fell upon me, and rolled over me in getting up. "'The viscera is crushed within me, breathing is difficult, speech painful, motion agonizing. "'But you may examine and satisfy yourselves.' said Dr. Day, still speaking cheerfully, though with great suffering. His old friends proceeded gently to the examination, which resulted in their silently and perfectly coinciding in opinion with the patient himself. Then with Dr. Day and Travers, they entered into a consultation, and agreed upon the best palliatives that could be administered, and begging that, if in any manner, professionally or otherwise, they could serve their suffering friend, at any hour of the day or night, 
they might be summoned, they took leave. As soon as they had gone, Clara, who had given way to a flood of tears, and regained her composure, rapped for admittance. "'Presently, dear daughter, presently,' said the doctor, who then, beckoning Travers to stoop low, said, "'Do not let Clara sit up with me to-night. I foresee a night of great anguish which I may not be able to repress, and which I would not have her witness. Promise you will keep her away.' "'I promise,' faltered the almost broken-hearted youth. "'You may admit her now,' said the doctor, composing his convulsed countenance as best he could, lest the sight of his sufferings should distress his daughter. Clara entered and resumed her post at the side of the bed. Travers left the room to prepare the palliatives for his patient. The afternoon waned. As evening approached, the fever, inflammation, and pain arose to such a degree that the doctor could no longer forbear betraying his excessive suffering, which was, besides, momentarily increasing. So he said to Clara, "'My child, you must now leave me and retire to bed. I must be watched by Travers alone to-night.' And Travers, seeing her painful hesitation, between her extreme reluctance to leave him and her wish to obey him, approached and murmured, "'Dear Clara, it would distress him to have you stay. He will be much better attended by me alone.' Clara still hesitated, and Travers, beckoning his mother to come and speak to her, left her side. Mrs. Rock approached her and said, "'It must be so, dear girl, for you know that there are some cases in which sick men should be watched by men only, and this is one of them. I myself shall sit up to-night in the next room, within call.' "'And may I not sit there beside you?' pleaded Clara. "'No, my dear love, as you can do your father no good, he desires that you should go to bed and rest. Do not distress him by refusing.' "'Oh, and am I to go to bed and sleep while my dear father vice your suffering? I cannot, oh, I cannot!' "'My dear, yes, you must, and if you cannot sleep you can lie awake and pray for him.' Here the doctor, whose agony was growing unendurable, called out, "'Go, Clara, go at once, my dear.' She went back to the bedside, and pressed her lips to his forehead, and put her arms around him and prayed, "'O oh, my dear father, may the blessed Saviour take you in his pitying embrace and give you ease to-night. Your poor Clara will pray for you as she never prayed for herself.' "'May the Lord bless you, my sweet child,' said the doctor, lifting one hand painfully, and laying it in benediction on her fair and graceful head. Then she arose and left the room, saying to Mrs. Rock as she went, Oh, Mrs. Rock, only last evening we were so happy. But if we have received good things at the hand of God, why should we not receive evil? Yes, my child, but remember nothing is really evil that comes from his good hand, said Mrs. Rock, as she attended Clara to the door. His daughter had no sooner gone out of hearing than the doctor gave way to his irrepressible groans. At a sign from Travers, Mrs. Rock went and took up her position in the adjoining room. Then Travers subdued the light in the sick-chamber, arranged the pillows of the couch, administered a sedative, and took up his post beside the bed, where he continued to watch and nurse the patient with unwearied devotion. At the dawn of the day, when Clara rapped at the door, he was in no condition to be seen by his daughter. Clara was put off with some plausible excuse. After breakfast his friends the physicians called, and spent several hours in his room. Clara was told that she must not come in while they were there and so, by one means and another, the poor girl was spared from witnessing those dreadful agonies, which, had she seen them, must have so bitterly increased her distress. In the afternoon, during a temporary mitigation of pain, Clara was admitted to see her father, but in the evening, as his sufferings augmented, she was again, upon the same excuse that had been used the preceding evening, dismissed to her chamber. Then passed another night of suffering, during which Travers never left him for an instant, Toward morning the fever and pain abated, and he fell into a sweet sleep, 
About sunrise he awoke quite free from suffering. Alas! It was the ease that he had predicted, the ease preceding dissolution. It is gone forever now, Traverse, my boy. Thank God my last hours will be sufficiently free from pain to enable me to set my house in order. Before calling Clara in, I would talk to you alone. You will remain here until all is over? Oh, yes, sir, yes. I would do anything on earth, anything for you. I would lay down my life this hour if I could do so to save you from this bed of death. Nay, do not talk so. Your young life belongs to others, to Clara and your mother. God doeth all things well. Better the ripened ear should fall than the budding germ. I do not feel it hard to die, dear Traverse. Though the journey has been very pleasant, the goal is not unwelcome. Earth has been very sweet to me, but heaven is sweeter. Oh, but we love you so, we love you so. You have so much to live for, exclaimed Traverse, with an irrepressible burst of grief. Poor boy, life is too hopeful before you to make you a comforter by a deathbed. Yes, Traverse, I have much to live for, but much more to die for. Yet not voluntarily would I have left you, though I know that I leave you in the hands of the Lord, and with every blessing and promise of his bountiful providence. Your love will console my child. My confidence in you makes me easy in committing her to your charge. O oh, Dr. Day, may the Lord so deal with my soul eternally, as I shall discharge this trust, said Traverse earnestly. I know that you will be true. I wish you to remain here with Clara and your mother for a few weeks, until the child's first violence of grief shall be over. Then you had best pursue the plan we laid out. Leave your good mother here to take care of Clara, and you go to the West, get into practice there, and at the end of a few years return and marry Clara. Traverse, there is one promise I would have of you. I give it before it is named, dear friend, said Traverse fervently. My child is but seventeen. She is so gentle that her will is subject to that of all she loves, especially to yours. She will do anything in conscience that you ask her to do. Traverse, I wish you to promise me that you will not press her to marriage until she shall be at least twenty years old, and—oh, sir, I promise! Oh, believe me, my affection for Clara is so pure and so constant, as well as so confiding in her faith, and so solicitous for her good, that with the assurance of her love and the privilege of visiting her and writing to her, I could wait many years if needful. I believe you, my dear boy, and the very promise I have asked of you is as much for your sake as for hers. No girl can marry before she is twenty, without serious risk of life, and almost certain loss of health and beauty, that so many do is one reason why there are such numbers of sickly and faded young wives. If Clara's constitution should be broken down by prematurely assuming the cares and burdens of matrimony, you would be as unfortunate in having a sickly wife as she would be in losing her health. Oh, sir, I promise you that, no matter how much I may wish to do so, I will not be tempted to make a wife of Clara until she has attained the age you have prescribed. But at the same time, I must assure you that such is my love for her— that if accident should now make her an invalid for life, she would be as dear, as dear, yes, much dearer to me, if possible, on that very account. And if I could not marry her for a wife, I should marry her only for the dear privilege of waiting on her night and day. Oh, believe this of me, and leave your dear daughter with an easy mind to my faithful care, said Traverse, with a boyish blush suffusing his cheeks, and tears filling his eyes. I do, Traverse, I do, and now to other things." Are you not talking too much, dear friend? No, no, I must talk while I have time. I was about to say that long ago my will was made. Clara, you know, is the heiress of all I possess. You, as soon as you become her husband, will receive her fortune with her. I have made no reservation in her favor against you, 
for he to whom I can entrust the higher charge of my daughter's person, happiness, and honor, I can also entrust her fortune. Dear sir, I am glad for Clara's sake that she has a fortune. As for me, I hope you will believe me that I would have gladly dispensed with it, and worked for dear Clara all the days of my life. I do believe it, but this will was made, Travers, three years ago, before any of us anticipated the present relations between you and my daughter, and while you were both still children. Therefore, I appointed my wife's half-brother, Clara's only male relative, Colonel Lenore, as her guardian. It is true we have never been very intimate, for our paths in life widely diverged, nor has my Clara seen him within her recollection, for since her mother's death, which took place in her infancy, he has never been at our house. But he is a man of high reputation and excellent character. I have already requested Dr. Williams to write for him, so that I expect he will be here in a very few days. When he comes, Travers, you will tell him that it is my desire that my daughter shall continue to reside in her present home, retaining Mrs. Rock as her matronly companion. I have also requested Dr. Williams to tell him the same thing, so that in the mouths of two witnesses my words may be established. Now Travers had never in his life before heard the name of Colonel Lenore, and therefore was in no position to warn the dying father, who placed so much confidence in the high reputation of his brother-in-law, that his trust was miserably misplaced, that he was leaving his fair daughter and her large fortune to the tender mercies of an unscrupulous villain and a consummate hypocrite. So he merely promised to deliver the message with which he was charged by the dying father for his daughter's guardian, and added that he had no doubt but Clara's uncle would consider that message a sacred command and obey it to the letter. As the sun was now well up, the doctor consented that Mrs. Rock and his daughter should be admitted. Mara brought with her some wine whey that her patient drunk, and from which he received temporary strength. Clara was pale but calm. One could see at a glance that the poor girl was prepared for the worst, and had nerved her gentle heart to bear it with patience. "'Come hither, my little Clara,' said the doctor, as soon as he had been revived by the way. Clara came and kissed his brow and sat beside him, with her hands clasped in his. "'My little girl, what did our Saviour die for? First to redeem us, and also to teach us by his burial and resurrection, that death is but a falling asleep in this world, and an awakening in the next.' Clara, after this, when you think of your father, do not think of him as lying in the grave, for he will not be there in his vacated body, no more than he will be in the trunk with his cast-off clothes. As the coat is the body's covering, so the body is the soul's garment, and it is the soul that is the innermost and real man. It is my soul that is me, and that will not be in the earth, but in heaven. Therefore do not think of me gloomily as lying in the grave, but cheerfully as living in heaven." as living there with God, and Christ, and his saints, and with your mother, Clara, the dear wife of my youth, who has been waiting for me these many years. Think of me as being happy in that blessed society. Do not fancy that it is your duty to grieve, but on the contrary, know that it is your duty to be as cheerful and happy as possible. Do you heed me, my daughter? Oh, yes, yes, dear father, said Clara, heroically repressing her grief. Seek for yourself, dear child, a nearer union with Christ and God. Seek it, Clara, until the Spirit of God shall bear witness with your spirit that you are as a child of God. So shall you, as you come to lie where I do now, be able to save your life and death, as I say with truth of mine. The journey has been pleasant, but the goal is blessed. The doctor pressed his daughter's hand and dropped suddenly into an easy sleep. Mrs. Rock drew Clara away, and the room was very still. Sweet, beautiful, and lovely, as is the deathbed of a Christian, we will not linger too long beside it. 
All day the good man's bodily life ebbed gently away. He spoke at intervals, as he had strength given him, words of affection, comfort, and counsel to those around him. Just as the setting sun was pouring his last rays into the chamber, Dr. Day laid his hand upon his child's head and blessed her. Then closing his eyes, he murmured softly, "'Lord Jesus, into thy hands I resign my spirit.' And with that sweet, deep, intense smile that had been so lovely in life, now so much lovelier in death, his pure spirit winged its flight to the realms of eternal bliss. End of chapter 29